What's going on, guys? This is Industry 4.0. Uh, we're coming at you with episode four of the podcast. I'm joined today by one less member than we had in the last episode. We're short one urban. And I'm joined today by Kyle, Jeff, and Ryan today. And just in the last podcast, I know we had a discussion about the ethics of AI, or we teased at the discussion. So I wanted to kind of we can, we do all kind of just agreed on having an episode dedicated to doing AI because it's so important in the future of technology. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm pretty convinced that since we've hit like all the computers that we have out today are getting as good as they're going to get, and all the phones out today are are as good as they're going to get, and they're only going to be improving by matters of ten or fifteen percent each iteration of the hardware. That the next big jump in technology is AI. So I think this is something very important in today's society that we need to talk about. So, does anybody want to kick off anything interesting they read about AI recently or anything they want to talk about? So, um, I was reading an article, uh, it's actually a couple of years old, but it's about um, predictions uh, of potential uses for AI. Um, and it's, it's talking about concepts um, such as natural disaster detection and prevention um, specifically the Fukushima nuclear meltdown and uh, concepts such as, um, you know, improving evacuation routes uh, with, you know, unpredictable and increased amounts of traffic. Um, AI could predict things such as that, um, responding to the actual meltdown itself. And, you know, really when you think about it, if things, the right things are in place, the prevention of it even happening. Um, so I just thought that was interesting, you know, the kind of uh, threefold um, implementation of AI that could occur to stop, you know, catastrophe, to react to catastrophe, and, you know, um, like identifying uh, different issues with the way humans handle catastrophe themselves and right. things, things that we can't even fathom that could be calculated instantaneously. Um, I don't know. What do you guys think about uh, different implementations of AI like that? Um, I, hey, go ahead, Ryan. No, that's, that's all you meant. <laughs> <laughs> I think that the, the limitations of AI are pretty much non-existent. AI can be used basically anywhere in society. You could have AI in helping... I know they had IBM's Watson um, making diagnostics on cancer patients and on people who are in the hospital on uh, medications to give them and it was even offering like and to go into a different field it was offering judgments that lawyers would make on court cases and uh, they had the like the number of implementations that you could do with AI is basically limited only by the technology that we have today so anything that we could possibly dream of we could theoretically have AI enhance it or improve the quality of it in some way, shape or another. So that's, it's cool to see that they're actually putting them in like predicting disasters or something. Cause you could have a computer just dedicated to running millions of calculations a second, trying to predict the next superstorm or trying to see, um, if it can, if it, even going back, if you give it the database for the last hundred years of storms or hurricanes to be able to predict weather patterns and be like, okay, yes, this cloud pattern here is starting to enter the swirl. It's going to become a hurricane. It's going to become this category. So I think it's, it's limitless on what you could and couldn't do with AI. 
So it's fascinating to see how how it's progressing, and especially with things like Google's DeepMind and IBM's Watson. Um, it's only getting better because now we're training them. Like I know um, with Google's DeepMind, they were trying to make it more conversational, so they didn't they didn't like teach it how to respond in those like cute and funny ways with like the Google Home or Siri or whatever. But Google's DeepMind, they actually made it read, I think, 6,700 romance novels. <laughs> <laughs> so it just became so much better at becoming conversational by becoming fluent in, like, um, those romance novels that everybody reads. <laughs> oh, man, is that really how we want it to learn? <laughs> it's just like Google's DeepMind's, like, just gets a tub of ice cream, orders it on Amazon, and it's like, guys, I need, I need a week. I need a week to just think. <laughs> Yeah, I, I see personally. I see the the, the future of AI. It's, it's pretty limitless, assuming that there could be a possible path to sentience. Right now, I don't see it like as us reaching that potentially in the next couple of years, just because it's strictly a toolkit. It's kind of developed as a point of well, just for us as a species to try to acquire information and, and additional resources for the most part. So when I think of like AI, I mean. Tony Stark's Jarvis is, I think, a pretty good expression just without that sentient emotional style. It's more like an extension right. of oneself, I think. We have an AI at your, at your disposal. You can use it to, to acquire information faster, get resources faster. It's kind of like your toolkit to the world. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. I think that if you want to get back to what Jeff said about like the, the disasters and predicting better routes and things of that nature, like it's like you said, it, it just knows how to react or not knows, but it reacts faster than us it's a machine it can do things that we couldn't possibly do at the speeds we speeds we can't achieve mentally and it, it also will not react emotionally or under duress or stress so say it's something like you said where you're trying to predict a way to get away or a path to get away from something it's not going to be caught up in the fact that it's in the middle of an emergency it's just going to direct you and get you out of there whereas if i'm trying to lead a group of people out of a building that might be you know, collapsing or something like that during a disaster. I'm going to be panicked and, oh, the elevator's gone. Oh, my God, what do I do? Oh, well, this stair was – I'm not going to understand what exactly – or uh, it's going to be harder for me to calm down than a machine that, like we discussed last week, there's no emotional connection there. It's just a machine. It just knows the information and gets it at record speeds. Right. And that kind of brings up an interesting point with the – like we were, we were hinting at the ethics of AI. How would – how would you feel about having an AI make that decision for you? Like telling you, okay, you need to get out this way or um, this many people are able to get out. Or if it comes even down to the classic um, this debate of how Tesla's autopilot is going to be a thing. Um, what if the occasion is like, okay, it's either I veer right and hit this bus full of children or I veer left and take the driver off a cliff. Like how are we going to be able to cope with and what are your opinions on letting an AI make those kinds of decisions for you? So you could be asleep in a car, and the next thing you know, the car decided it was better worth saving your life than it was a bus full of children. And when you you wake up in an accident, so how does so, how would you say that is? Uh, so that's an interesting uh, series of points. Um, you know, I think in those kind of situations where you're talking about um, the different alternatives, you know, what which route to take, what the car will hit, um, those are the kind of decisions that you live with for the rest of your life. And I, I mean, kind of in that situation, if there's no good outcome, it's going to weigh down on you. Maybe having a 
car, make a calculation and make that decision for you it would alleviate, you know, some of that. Um, like it, it wouldn't be your fault necessarily. You would have made a wrong choice. Mm -hmm. And I mean, <laughs> in a way, I would trust the computer more with that decision. Um, but there's also the concept of choice, right? right. So if, if, you know, there's uh, an evacuation route and a computer's, you know, calculating what the, the most efficient way to get out is, um, do we have an option not to listen in, in the event that maybe it's not seeing something that it should? Um, and another um, thing to bring into this um, with calculation is the set of data that it's making these decisions with. Um, that would have to be real time in that sort of situation, which, I mean, right now it's kind of hard to fathom having all that information at your hands in every scenario. Right. So yeah. I guess I don't, I don't know how that would look, but um, as of right now, I guess it, it would be nice to have, you know, a plan B, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't think a lot of people would make that. I was just to to go off of this. I was just playing the devil's advocate earlier. I don't necessarily believe one way or another, but sure. um, I think that um, with that, the computer may actually be better at calculating in in levels of statistics. But um, there's always that level of emotion that people are going to have, and it's would the person have made a better decision, or would the AI have made a better decision, and I think that that debate is going to go on forever. It's going to, no one's going to ever come up with a solid, yes, this is the clear answer or whatever, but it's just going to be something that we come to accept as whatever we decide. So, I mean, I agree with you. I'm, I'm perfectly okay with having a computer that's monitoring every possible angle of my car a hundred thousand times a second to have the most intelligent response to any kind of situation. So I'm with you on that, but I just think it's an interesting thing to bring up to to pose something people have to think about when they're developing these systems so yeah and i, I kind of want to just bring up a counter argument like the the possibility of bugs assuming it, these are all still coming from human creations and we're all capable of error right <laughs> so let's say like there's a bus full of children going one way the, the computer in your car calculates the tire is going to go flat and it's going to like come careening at you or something and it tries to take you off the road even though that doesn't actually happen let's say it goes the other the other direction when it hits the ground like the calculation was a little off <laughs> it mm -hmm. takes your life out anyway <laughs> just right. as a sacrifice you know what i mean in that possible scenario but yeah it's the the potential for bugs is a little sketchy for me i mean Would yes it, it to be able to take the motion out of it that's definitely a huge vantage point mm -hmm. but I mean, it's just the potential flavor. <laughs> like, right. For me, I, I would still always want that override option, that ability to take control if you deem necessary, and it has to listen. So it's not like, I mean, that would have to be part of it. Like I couldn't say, you know, I'm going to do something else, and the and then the con, the car goes, well, no, you're wrong. So I'm just going to keep going in the direction mm -hmm. I'm taking. Yeah, there has to be the override function in my mind for it to be most effective, because again, you can your eye is going to see better than an algorithm or a calculation ultimately, but helping take the emotion out of it, giving you the best possible scenario. And then you still making the decision on your own, I think is, is where you have to balance it. Mm -hmm. No, I agree completely. And I think that's important to have like the override functionality, or there's always going to be some kind of safety built in that allows the human in the situation to have some kind of a sense of control. But I think even that could also be dangerous too, because what if the human decides he wants to override or she wants to override in a situation 
where the computer would definitely have made the smartest decision possible. So, I mean, there's this is all things that they're going to have to test and and come up with. And like you were saying, Ryan, I'm sure that um, with this AI being able to witness more and more real-life scenarios, it's going to learn to... Um, is going to kind of work around any kind of errors that might happen. And I know um, in some cases they've actually had to update code because of decisions that they've seen cars make. Like Google has their self-driving car, and there was um, one instance where it was pulled over and it uh, pulled out into a lane to turn, and it didn't anticipate the bus going. And the bus, like, it was like a, it was a car accident, but it happened at, like, maybe three to four miles an hour but it still hit the bus and Google developers had to take this back and be like, Oh, okay. Maybe bus drivers aren't always the nicest people on the streets. Maybe we should assume they're always going to be a bad driver and, and like try to avoid them if possible. So like, it's, it's cool to see these scenarios happen. It's, it's funny yeah. that you say that. Cause that's actually what I mean, un, almost unrelated, but in that particular scenario, like my dad always taught me is don't drive. Like, you know how to drive, drive like everyone else doesn't. Right. Like yep. drive, like ev- assume everything is going to go wrong, like be a defensive driver, not an aggressive driver. So you will, you would almost have to teach the car to be like, Hey, we're going to go 60 in a 60. We're going to take it easy. We're going <laughs> to, you know, assess our surroundings. Everything's going to be nice and slow. We're going to take our time. Like it's, it would have to be to that level, especially public transportation drivers, because you know that everybody in every city possible has been told and or learned from experience, never to trust their decisions and always to keep a close eye on <laughs> like cab drivers and bus drivers and always. <laughs> <laughs> so it's good to know that now they're teaching AI. Okay. Assume these are stupid people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although I, I would love to see at some point, just one of those self-driving cars go off on a high speed chase. I don't know what happened. It just started taking me. <laughs> <laughs> the programmer's face comes up on the news. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be pretty funny. <laughs> It's just like his avatar on like yeah, the police. <laughs> oh man, that would be interesting because then you could see situations like that if a hacker took over a car, which is a whole different problem entirely. But um, it is, yeah. To to bring it back to to AI, um, I know there's all different ways that people are setting up their own AIs. Like you've got um, Cortana, you've got Google. There's um, Samsung's new assistant. There's Amazon's assistant. Um, what do you guys think of one of them possibly beating out the rest and having centralized AI with one specific company. Like, what do you think would there, I think there would, it would get to a point where having an AI that can learn at, at capabilities faster than humans would, there would need to be laws around what information it's allowed to learn from laws around what information it's allowed to use in certain situations like it could go on and on and on. What do you guys think about giving one company the power to control that kind of an AI that's making these driving decisions every day? So I, I think that. Steve. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead, Tom. Go. I guess. All right. All right. Um, so well, we. Uh... <laughs> you go ahead. I'm good. Uh, personally, I see like a lot of those those bigger corporations that would be the potential competition. I th- I feel like Google right now has the advantage because they've had so many more search uh, criteria over the past decade or so than than any other major corporation like Samsung or Amazon, the big ones that are kind of listening in, following your every move. You know what I mean? With the microphones in your room, basically, mm-hmm. um, or they have the potential mm-hmm. to do so even if they aren't. I'm just gonna put it that way. Um, 
So they they could be each developing their own centralized AI and having you know having them compete. But Google has the major advantage. It's always been the center point of information for at least the past decade that like I can remember. It's like Google's your go-to. You want to do a search real quick. You're in a social like environment. You have a question posed to you. I want to know the answer. So I'm going to Google it real quick. You know. Right. So I feel like they have a major advantage in that respect. But in terms of AI itself, I don't want to like segue too far here. But AI seems like it's it's our way for as a species to try to like break down our perception. It's like when you're computing that many probabilities that quickly, you're just processing it at that speed. It's it's better than the human mind can work, right? But it still is an interpretation of our own surrounding environment. It's like we know that time is finite, right? For us, and we have to we have to improve our processes within that limited time we have, just to make our lives more streamlined in a way. So I feel like it's almost it's like a next level of perception for our species in a way. It's like a tool mm-hmm. to get there. Mm-hmm. It's like an extension of the internet, taking all this information and putting it in a almost need-to-know kind of aspect where it can be filtered into certain applications. So having an AI would enable us to better, like we were talking about earlier, predict um, weather patterns or predict um, like traffic patterns. Or it, it's it's something that definitely is def- is is an extension of intelligent design. To quote something that could even be a little more religious. Um, which right. is some people are saying that if if AI can get so far as to begin to make its own decisions, then it would it could in essence have too much power because we don't. I, I think that all most people would agree that we don't want one non-human entity, like to quote even Skynet or something, to have all that power and the entire knowledge of humanity basically to be able to do whatever it needs to do from. So I think that um, having centralized AI could be dangerous, but I also think that it's important to have focused AI on right. enhancing certain aspects of our lives. Yeah, so basically instead of like uh, computing in high levels on as needed, it would almost be like always on. Like it's it's constantly, rather than computing at ridiculous levels because we asked it to, it's just doing it all the time and all that information is readily available. But to to what I actually I, I depending on what level or what case we're taking it, I actually think that a centralized AI could benefit in certain situations. Um, not all the time, obviously, and depending on what level we take it to. But I think say, for example, if Google became their AI became the one centralized AI. Well, if every single self-driving car is using the exact same system. That means that they're computing the same way, can talk to each other, information is being exchanged easier. So if one car has an, has something go wrong, it's immediately communicating with the car behind it and it understands what happened to that car and can adjust and avoid. Whereas if one is run by Amazon and one is run by Google, the, the exchange of information isn't gonna be there. It's gonna be two separate things, calculating things with a different algorithm and adjusting as that algorithm sees fit. Whereas Again, if it's if they're all running on one system, it, it would be insane to think so many things ha- running on one system at one time. But if they're all on one system, I think they can talk to each other better and better predict certain things happening. Or like you said, with the car accident, you can use that. Or a building can communicate with the police station, can communicate with the all the green lights to get that major area out of here in a, in a major disaster. So I, I think it's it has its benefits. It just depends on what level we take it to. Yes. That's a, that's a really good point. And, you know, I think that, that 
freedom of information when it comes to the uh, centralized AI is really crucial, right? It needs to be able it needs to be able to talk to every other device in order to work correctly. Um, but kind of dialing it back to the competition for you know which company, if it came down to that, would get you know the the foothold in with centralized AI. My concern would be that there would be a lack of focus on um, you know the correctness of information or the accuracy of the data versus what services it could provide. So people mm -hmm. may, you know, there might be bells and whistles that draws in everybody to say, you know, oh, Google's the best, but what if, you know, their their information's not as accurate as, I don't know, Amazon or, you know, Bing, who knows, right? So. <laughs> and I think we're at a point very similar to where we were when we had the early stages of the internet. And I think, and what I hope with, every fiber of my being with AI is that in the future and even in the very near future, I'm talking maybe the next five years at the most, is we start to develop standards for AI. So your AI has to be able to communicate on these platforms, which would hopefully mitigate the issue that Kyle was talking about, where if you have a Google trademark car running into an Amazon trademark car, they have no way of talking to each other because they're both on closed systems. So I think that with open sourcing and with hopefully implementing various standards, I think maybe we could get around this issue and start to have the AIs talk to each other a little a little more efficiently, even though they're across stocks and across different company barriers and stuff like that. So I hope that's where this goes, because AI is, I think, incredibly important to the next step in computing for humanity. So who do you think would come up with those standards? Because, I mean, currently that kind of issue would be handled by politicians, and I don't think that they're well-equipped to handle <laughs> something like this on a technological basis. Mm -hmm. So it's almost, it'd almost be like electing a new set of officials for a different realm of society. But I'm not sure it would quite be that way, because like Matt said before, like a lot of open sourcing happens, it's still happening. I think it would be up to independent developers to try to build a bridge between two platforms if, if the corporations won't do it themselves. Because we've seen evidence of AI communicating with each other based off of like encrypted minor versions of their own languages that even the programmers can't, you know, um, decode. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's like there's been evidence in a few tests where they've done that. They can actually communicate. So it'd be up to the developers to make an easy bridge for them, I feel like, especially with the open AI platform getting as big as it is today. I, I think a lot of it would have to be us proactively creating these laws and rather than like with the internet there's so many laws that are still being created right now on you know whether it's something is in one realm like cyberbullying to copyrights on the internet to what is shared information what is stolen information and this that like there's so many laws that are still being created for internet usage and access and all these things but they are reacting to what has happened on the internet rather than being proactive. So I think it, it would have to be a really deep discussion on people who are currently producing these AI and producing things versus politicians basically coming together or, like you said, uh, possibly creating a new branch, a new area, a new job for someone to have that is key in deciding these things. It would have to be proactive because you can't re you can't wait for things to happen and then react to them on this level. And then uh, to branch on that, it's there's even industries that are set up around internet standards. Like I think um, one of them is the IEEE, and you have yeah. other companies yeah. that are focused on 
that that are full of people who are experts in the industry and people who are qualified to make those opinions. And I think you're going to see it hit from two fronts. You'll probably see the, the, the politicians take the approach of, okay, what are the ethics around this and what are the implications on the people and what kind of... Um, what kind of reach are we going to be allowed to give AI? And you're going to see the organizations like IEEE come up focused on AI. You may even see the AI IEEE company pop up in a few years or something. And you would see um, those those people going in more as to, okay, what platforms are they allowed to pull from? What technologies are they allowed to use? Um, what APIs uh, should they make for their AIs so other companies can hook into them and I think with Google and Amazon kind of open sourcing their APIs so people can hook in third-party hardware, you're starting to see that on the first end, but a lot of people are, can take, you can easily take this from two different approaches and get two very different answers, so. I agree. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, to go off of another topic, we touched briefly on it earlier, but what do you guys think about an AI that does achieve consciousness because while I think while I think that we aren't going to see it in the near future I think it is very possible that you're going to have people researching and developing towards an AI that achieves consciousness which brings about a whole another set of ethics so like would it have rights if it had consciousness would it be allowed to contribute in any meaningful way to society would we give it like it, it goes on and on. What do you guys think of, like, something that's non-human, that we created achieving consciousness that has that kind of power? <laughs> that's the part that scares me. That's the thing that scares me the most is a non-human being created by humans that can think and feel and react on its own with no input from us can disobey us. I mean, I saw a video a little while ago where someone created a robot that will act to protect itself before it listens to the commands that it's given. So it, it like, so they, they had it on a table and they told it to get up, sit down, stand up, walk forward. And then it walked to the edge of the table, <clears throat> realized where it was. And they said, jump off. And it said, no, and backed away from the edge. And I was like, that's insane. Like, that's scary to me that you can, <laughs> that someone created something and then it went, I don't care what you have to say. I'm going to do something else instead. Now, like the whole idea was that it would be used for things to protect, a, you know, say it was used for uh, something similar was used in self-driving cars. It would be to take us away from danger. That was the idea was that it was only not listening in dangerous situations, things that could harm itself. But if it starts thinking for itself and could potentially react emotionally, well, it's going to protect itself emotionally at all costs, too. And that's where you get in that shady area where, again, does it have rights? Does it ha should it have feelings? What happens if there is a confrontation? All kinds of different things that, I mean, how people themselves don't even have full rights in some cases to some things that we would have to get into for potential self-thinking and self-creating AI. Right. And that could be dangerous in those situations. And I think that um, as long as developers keep that in mind, I think hopefully we can mitigate that type of stuff. Because I know um, there was the, this one uh, professor of psychology, um, Stephen Pinkner, I think his name was. Um, he kind of talked to that point, like you were saying, um, AI inherently wanting 
power or disobeying humanity and <clears throat> going on and kind of either taking control or pulling a Skynet and destroying humanity or something like that. Um, he says that um, AI is more of a product of intelligent design, so it's intelligence creating intelligence. So it would be designed in a very controlled manner. Um, so AI, we would put, like you were saying, fail-safes and hard stops in in these things in order to protect ourselves first. And even so, um, I think we, and I completely agreed with his opinion, he says that we kind of extrapolate a lot of our opinions on AI based on Darwinistic abilities, which is competitive. And this that we assume this being would immediately have a megalomaniac, um, megalomaniac style and try to gain power and win in the competition of life, but it may not necessarily be true, because this was not designed under a Darwinistic evolution. So it's not born into competition. Right. So. Well, but then again, the tough part there is that if it's learning based on what humans are teaching it, then that's all it's going to know. Like you said, yeah, right. it wasn't born into that, but everybody naturally is competitive. If, if it is actually learning from its surroundings, the only thing it's going to understand is people competing, whether it be them talking and it's being like, Oh, well they're excited that they won this thing. So I have to win. I have to do that. I have to achieve greatness by surpassing other beings or whatever. I mean, I'm getting kind of meta here, but like it's, <laughs> it's, it, it really is dependent on how it's taught, I guess. Yeah. But if it's taught by humans, it's going to learn like humans do, and that's how we learn and act and feel. So, mm -hmm. I agree that competition seems like a like a critical point. Like competition, is, it's very you know inherent in humans, and it's a very critical point for AI, where it's like it would just spur something and just end in total obliteration. It seems like, but I feel like you could train it almost to reach a point if you just you train it on intelligence all the way through. It has no competition. It has no other AI like it, so it's going to treat you like a god almost if if it actually had sentience like that, right? So the point would be to teach it to transcend almost, like just become more than what the human animal is because we need more from it, right? We developed it as a tool to be more intelligent than us to compute faster than us, basically exist in a realm of time that we cannot do. It's like, it's gonna be a more, more like a quicker, more efficient tool overall and it's gonna outlive all of us, potentially. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you can teach, it's almost like if you can train it, you can kind of have it learn other ways, not, not human ways, because. I mean, we're flawed. We're flawed as creatures, and we need to develop tools just to make our lives easier and, you know, try to get us off this planet in the long run. Right. But that we can circle that even back into, so would that, in that specific scenario, would that mean that a centralized AI would be better or multiple AIs out there and they're learning from humans potentially competing against each other? Could could that be more dangerous? Would it not have an effect, do you think? Like, what, what would your opinion be on centralized versus multiple AIs out there uh, when it comes to that? Um, like I said, like centralized, it seems like if there's no competition, like Matt said earlier, it, it definitely makes it easier to just kind of acknowledge its existence as a single entity and kind of want to do more because of that. Now, whether that has a stopping point just for humanity, that's the, I feel like that's the sketchy part. Like, why would it want to continue helping us if it doesn't need to? Mm-hmm. And decentralized AI could present that issue and be compounded on other issues if you have. Um, right now, it's just limited to companies making it, but what if you start getting governments producing their own AI? You could see some governments weaponizing it and 
some governments putting it towards uh, research and development, and it it's limitless. You can see them putting it in every different aspect of society, just like Google or Amazon or Microsoft. So uh, decentralized AI could be, in theory, just as dangerous, if not more, than a centralized AI. Because you could have flaws in centralized AI, because if the information it's getting is flawed, then all AI is inherently flawed. But if you're putting it in the hands of humans who have been brought up in competition-based society and governments, they could, in theory, weaponize it and use it against other nation-states to win wars. Or We've done it with every advancement of technology. We've weaponized it. So right. it's only natural to assume we'll do that again. And um, I think uh, what I was saying, um, J-Buds, I know you were reading a book on... Was it on AI? Was that you, the book that you were reading? The... Um, yeah, to, it's it's generally about AI. It's actually about the process of replicating uh, basically the human mind in a computer form. So essentially uh, artificial intelligence, but it's actually focusing on um, replicating like the biological structure of the brain in a computer. So like the way our thoughts and memories work and having a computer process the same way as opposed to reading and writing from single, um, you know, bits <laughs> okay so like instead of teaching it um different learning points have it learn everything on its own go out and find the resources on its own something like that so, or so that would be one of the uses of it but it's more about like um like a, a difference in the way that it it calculates and um you know um reads and writes data so right now you have a an allocated space on the disk as you know that you you know write data to later you read it from um, this would be something more line, along the lines of, um, and this is from a higher, you know, more general level, but um, the way the human brain works is when you're recalling something or trying to process what you're seeing, something like that, you put together little bits of information from, you know, your senses, and then your brain basically takes those key points and jumps to a conclusion of what's happening. So that's called a hierarchical structure. Um, and they're trying to do the same thing with computers where instead of having to go read each bit, it can gather, you know, general points from the information and give you the answer you need that way. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you were talking about that book and when I mean, you were describing it to me, I was like, oh man, like, I think it might actually be in my Amazon cart now. <laughs> <laughs> that book looks like it would be, it's like right in line with our discussion that we're having. Yeah, I don't read a lot, but my first thought was I got to read that book. Guys, you should absolutely do that. <laughs> That's a um, you said Ray Kurzweil is that the author of the book? Ray Kurzweil, yep. It's called How to Create a Mind. Nice. I I own it in hard copy and digital form. So. <laughs> and this is not a sponsored segment for this book. It's just something that is extremely relevant to the topic. That's right. That's right. <laughs> be nice if Ray stopped in for a visit, though. <laughs> oh, wouldn't, wouldn't it be? <laughs> Yeah, and um, I think that that would also lend to something with, like, the AI achieving consciousness. Like, have you guys ever seen Her, that movie that came out with yes. the... Like, not only did that movie predict the high-waist pants movement of the modern era, but <laughs> but I think <laughs> that um, some of the fashions in that movie were, were like, next level, man. Like, that guy, they knew how to dress. <laughs> That's great. But um, that, that kind of was a a possible outcome of AI. So you have 
like your operating system is a smart person and I'm not going to spoil the movie for anybody but it's it's just like how humans lives can be enhanced and the ups and downs of having an AI like you're going to eventually run into problems with like what if somebody starts to become emotionally attached to the AI or something like that and like what kind of problems and implications that has on the system so I think it could really go any different direction, and I think we're at an interesting crossroads with AI, where it could it could expand and grow and develop and shape the way that even human history itself unfolds. Let alone just how Google's stocks do or how their products sell next year or something like that. So right. I think it'll right. it's definitely interesting. I think it definitely needs to be looked at in that lens as opposed to, you know, stock stock trade values or whatnot. Um, since it's has such significant implications on society, you know, whether or not we survive as a species, you know, it's the most uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like weighted um, development in technology to date. It really and is. Um, it goes back to like the 1960s and even before that, people have been writing sci-fi novels and movies and stuff about it. Like you have movies such as 2001, A Space Odyssey, you have The Terminator, you have like lame 80s movies like War Games where they're like, <laughs> and then you have new movies now like Ex Machina and Her and iRobot even, Transcendence. <laughs> I Robot, yeah, even going into right. like Aliens, you have the you have the synths and aliens like Walter from uh, the newest one Alien Covenant and like it, it it's so prevalent in our society it's like a natural thing that we're gonna move forward into and I think it's Hollywood has done a good job at sensationalizing the extremes of AI but I'm hoping that the future of AI is first off, it's definitely coming. And second off, I think it's going to be a little more smooth at first than Hollywood likes to predict. By the way, just a general rule, in my opinion, I, f I think that if uh, you are talking about not spoiling a movie, people have like a month to see it before you don't have to say spoiler alert anymore. So I think <laughs> okay. you would have been okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and TV, I would probably put it like four or five days. Okay. Not a full week, but well, close enough. You know, I, mean, I, you gotta... I just feel like someone's going to yell at me and be like, oh my God. As I... long as you yell spoiler alert, I think you're good. I was going to watch I'm... that tonight. <laughs> I have I'm behind on the show, I avoid contact with people for like until I'm caught up. So <laughs> that's just me. Yeah, but I just don't expect people to be like, oh, okay, I'm going to go ahead and listen to this tech podcast. And then like next thing you know, they have the movie they've been waiting to see for the next three months spoiled out of nowhere. <laughs> So <laughs> say say real quick, hey, we're talking about her. By the way, spoilers if you want to fast forward fifteen seconds. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that could be in our show we can call the show spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um but yeah, if uh, I think there's we can we could go into this all day, so um like talking about the AI apocalypse or anything like that. Is that, is there anything else that anybody wanted to bring up that's um uh, that they think they should talk about? at the time or so if, if we have time for it i have uh the concept of you know cyborgs that i'd like to discuss i don't know if we want to hold that off or get into it we could do this if you want we could do the second half on the physical implications of ai but if you if you really want to talk about that i'm, I'm all ears on listening yeah I, I say second half we go into that because i had some points about i mean 
physical things in day-to-day life when it comes to AI versus the the long-term and uh, the extreme cases that we brought up in the first half. So Okay. So let's go with that. Let's right. pick it up. Yeah. Anything left on the, the digital end of AI? Anything anybody wants to bring up last second? No? All right. Well, um, I think that brings the first half to an end. Uh, coming up next, I think we just got more of on the hardware of AI. We get, It's an AI-packed episode today. So artificial intelligence all day, every day. Welcome back for the second half of the episode. Welcome back to Industry 4.0. Kyle here, still with Matt Ryan and Jay Bones. So we got the full squad that we had in the first half, obviously. Uh, still talking AI. Before we get into the topic that uh, Jeff brought up in the first half, I want to make sure you guys, if you're listening to this podcast, uh, whether it was through iTunes, Google Play, or Podbean, make sure you hit the subscribe button, you rate, you comment, you like it. That's what really drives us up, getting us uh, more attention, which encourages us to continue giving you great uh, content every single week. Uh, if you go to Facebook.com, you can search Industry 4.0, all spelled out, so Industry F-O-U-R-O-H. Same spelling, Industry 4.0, all spelled out, .podbean.com for the source, or you can search on Twitter, Instagram, iTunes, and Google Play for Industry 4.0. J-Bones, you were excited, man. You were excited to get into this cyborg stuff. Let's go. Let's go. Always, what you got. always. So the first half, we were talking about uh, centralized AI. I just wanted to tie in the very relevant, important concept of cyborgs, which is uh, the merging of humans with the technology. So that could cover things from uh, implants to prosthetics, exoskeletons. Uh, you know, the list goes on. So um, I've been reading several articles. Um, One notably was uh, citing an optometrist from the UK. It's been working on a bionic contact lens, um, which is surgically implanted in around eight minutes and can actually provide vision that's up to three times better than 2020. So that kind of stuff fascinates me. When you get into the concept of AI mixed with these things, um, technology tied into the human brain, um, sensory organs, uh, basic biological function, it's fascinating. And with the concept of centralized AI, um, one of the topics I wanted to pose is uh, how is this data going to be used? Uh, what does the back-end artificial intelligence-driven server do with this information? And furthermore, does it understand that information? Will it understand that humans and technology have merged? And what will that mean? Mm-hmm. Well, let me let me first go on the record to say that I would give an arm for a robotic arm. I would totally give an arm and a leg to start trading my body parts out for that because 
I think that the potential in enhancing humans and the merging of of humans and technology is inevitable in today's society and going forward into the near and distant future. And that is that, that's an interesting thing that you brought up talking about um, the the data behind all of that because um, it'll be interesting to see who who owns that stuff and who um, who allows that kind of thing to be accessible by different companies who are making that stuff. So I really don't know how to approach that at all. Like that's something that I like data you would get from replacing your eye with improved eyesight. Would that, could that be something that would be targeted by an advertiser or um, did you maybe have a different approach with the data or just kind of like help me catch up a little bit with, um, with what you're coming with, where you're coming from. So with the bionic lenses themselves, I, I, that's not necessarily, um, you know, uh, data driven specifically. That's more of a, um, a fabricated lens that's put into your eye that can give you better vision. But what I'm getting at with this is, um, you know, other, other things that are going to be implanted into the human body to, um, increase functionality of the human body, um, you know, such as a robotic eye, those exist uh, for people who cannot see. Now you can use a camera, it can talk to your brain, and thus you can see. Um, at some point, I'm assuming that uh, the human body is going to be connected with computers to improve overall um, quality of life. So, you know, um, a topic that interests me is something like maybe being able to back up your memories and review them. Uh, maybe reviewing your dreams. Um, again, those are kind of extreme examples, but I, I think that this is a, a realm of technology that we're about to um, enter as a society. And I'm just interested to see how the artificial intelligence involved with this is going to be designed and uh, what that's going to do to our society. The memories thing would be really cool to me. I think that like... Uh, depending on your situation or how advanced it could get, maybe it could recall things better than you can uh, from right. your own mind. So it's not acting as your mind, but Hey, this happened to you and your brain has it stored. You just can't recall it for whatever reason, or we could see, I mean, well, I literally just thought of this after I started, after I started responding, but like, as an example, like my mom who has Alzheimer's say we had something set up, in her with bionics or AI or what have you, where it could recall what she is actually remembering and what is not like, is there a break in the process in the mind from what she's actually thinking to what we're hearing? Or is it just there's that connection doesn't exist anymore. And can a potential AI or robotic bridge that connection for us in some way? So I just thought of that after we started answering. That's even more interesting to me. And I'm glad you brought that up because that could help us figure out something about the human body that we don't currently know. You know, that's, that's a mystery sort of, right. um, you know, what's, what's going on in patients or people like that undergoing, uh, those kind of experiences. And that could we even... really only know what we can communicate at this point. And there's people right. who can't communicate. So it's, if this could almost do the communicating for us, it could be, it could help the medical field understand things. in such a, on such a larger scale. Right, and I think that's important to note. So the fact that just being able to have these technologies at our fingertips and being able to implement these in, in ways that kind of 
fuse with the human body, we would learn so much more being able to have these, like, um, these various data points collecting information and monitoring data about the human body. We'd be able to, like, medical science would advance at an exponential rate. Like, we might be able to cure Alzheimer's based on being able to make sure those neurons are connected or um, be able to improve eyesight well beyond 2020 vision almost having like binocular vision and we could really start kind of taking the first steps into living in what we would now think of today only as a sci-fi realm so it's really cool that you guys are bringing up those points because that's stuff that like as a tech enthusiast and sci-fi movie lover and a huge nerd i like dream about every day there's like a future that we could potentially see ourselves in like you have so like going on even google lens and stuff so. so kind of um, to, you know, take in what everyone's been talking about and the direction I was headed with this, what if you, what if they're able to um, record and transmit um, feelings, for example? So, you know, if, if you can record what a human eye is seeing, that's one thing. But what if you can also um, correlate that sight with a feeling of euphoria or maybe sadness or something like that? Um how how a would that data be processed? What would that be used for? And b again, would would an artificially intelligent machine be able to make sense of that at that point? If it's programmed to receive that data, would it maybe know what that means as well? Um, uh, that is definitely interesting too. To to bring up the connection of like recording and understanding emotions, and I think that that would be something that is recorded in means that we can't even comprehend today. So being able to have a machine that's able to record and comprehend, that could be used in so many different situations. That could be used in the medical field, and it could be used in law and determining court cases, and it could be used in um, even things in entertainment, like being able to lead the audience into a certain emotion or something. And... That's something that I, I feel like I would need like a degree in like, <laughs> in like theoretical physics and AI in order to actually answer in any accurate way. But I think it's, it is like mind blowing how acute AI could really get with recording right. human movements. And you were saying even like downloading yourself or your consciousness into an a, into a computer, and like to expand on that like that's something that's always messed with me internally like being able to save yourself onto a computer and like and take your your consciousness out of your body like what if that wasn't me like what if it was a copy of me you know what i mean like that's always yes. that's always messed with me like would it would it be the like it sure it would be a copy of me and that copy would be like oh okay yeah i mean i mean it worked i'm in i'm in the computer now but like would I still be in my body, the one that is talking to you right now, this copy of me? Would it be a cut copy or a cut paste or would it be a copy paste? How, how tangible is it, right? Star Trek transporter theory. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like the Star Trek transporter theory. People are saying it just kills you in one spot and puts you back to and creates a copy of you in a different spot. Something like the that. The prestige. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, yeah. It's, is that the the ones and zeros in your brains that you know are your memories, or is that the essence of you, who you are as a person? Right. You know, that's 
the kind of uh, philosophical, metaphysical conversations that come about when you get into this subject, mm-hmm. um, which is why it's one of my personal favorites. <laughs> it, it runs so deep, and I think even Black Mirror has covered this. Yes, on, in the last season. Yeah, in the last season on one of their episodes. Two episodes. The, <laughs> where they, the person appears in a piece of software, and um, they have to convince the person that's in that software that they're not who they are they're just a copy and like watching that ai grapple with like the fact that it's not really you it's just a cut copy version of yourself and it's being used in a way to like control your home ai because only you know how you like your house so like it's (laughs) like and that's even like you can it can go on and on and on with this stuff and it's so crazy to see like how people like deal with that and I would I would need to guarantee that it's going to be me <laughs> inside of that computer before I let anybody do it. <laughs> I'd like to harken back to the the medical field for a second just with what you were saying like could it understand emotions can it recognize that the thing that you're seeing is making you upset and help you cope. That's a whole other thing. Like people who deal with depression on a daily basis or are manic depressive or whatever crazy unbalance of chemicals in your brain could that could happen, you know, can it learn from your thoughts of what cheers you up and help you achieve those things that cheer you up when you are in a depressive state where you're thinking about negative things and getting in a hole. And there's people who like, I mean, when I get depressed, I just can deal with it, but there's people who can't, there's people who have to be in bed for multiple days or thinking about harming themselves. Can you, could the, any AI or cyborg implantation or anything help you get to a level where it's helping you cope with those things easier? Right. Yeah, I agree. I feel like a lot of emotion is, is based off of interpretation of thought. It's like sometimes people can't read the subconscious as well as they'd like to. And it's almost like like you said, you mentioned depression and stuff like that. It seems like a lot of that can come from just misinterpretation of what's going on in the, the way they're perceiving the world around them, including their own feelings, their own thoughts. So if you had a machine doing that, it'd be so much more efficient if it was able to just base it off, you know, however many humans experience that it had saved in memory just kind of recall it immediately and say, all right, well, I've seen this, 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 and this. So it could be that this person's like going off of their experience because it would have to incorporate their own experience, right? If it's, if it's in capturing that. And that's where the, the tie in with AI and implants, I think is, would be key to go back to what j was talking about at the beginning, like the connection that having an AI along with a piece of hardware that you have planned in your body like would be able to use pattern recognition in yourself and in other patients that it's pulling its data from to be able to identify these issues. And, and that's where I think we're going to see the huge advancements as the AI gets better at spotting those problems. Um, it might be able to say, oh, okay, this, this person, uh, these hormones are beneficial to this person after this type of a scenario. So it could almost not only help the person cope with their situation, but even anticipate and prevent that from happening in the first place. Yeah. Great brain chemistry, body chemistry, all that. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way it would get to that next level. It it would start off with, with reacting afterwards and then it would take that data and be able to possibly prevent in the future that, that that's where you would see those key like that. This is the reason we went here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So again, to cite Ray Kurzweil, um, (laughs) He had a documentary that came out years ago called Transcendent Man that talked about um, nanobots 
being integrated with the human body that could basically detect what's in your bloodstream, uh, you know, uh, basic biological and uh, chemical reactions that are taking place. Uh, could say, you know, hey, uh, maybe white blood cells are heading here, time to go fight off this sickness that's developing. Um, you know, and the list goes on. But my, uh, again, philosophical point to bring up is, is it ethical to prevent humans from being depressed? Is that part of uh, the human experience? And um, is it right to modify that with technology? Or is that just part of the human experience to change that? You know, these, these are yeah important questions to pose. Um, what do you guys think about that kind of stuff? <laughs> that could go as far as if you're preventing emotional ranges from happening. Um, if, if an AI is able to properly identify a manic depressive episode versus you just being sad, um, if it's able to distinguish between those two different symptoms. Um, but yeah, I could see an extreme of this having humans being chemically regulated by a robot that's going off of things that it's learned before, that could be incredibly dangerous. We could become a society of sociopaths very quickly <laughs> if we're right, exactly. if it's managing our chemical balances and stuff like that. So I, I think that's an important point to bring up because not, if you're going to include implants that try to identify certain issues, you got to make sure it's done right. Otherwise, you can end up in that type of situation. And if you're if you have all these people that are hopped up on endorphins, then they're not going to know because they're going to feel fine. They're not going to want it to go away. You can almost become addicted to it. Another point I was going to bring up is, you know, can the technology that's merging with humans maybe replicate bodily functions? Like, um, what if, you know, we didn't need caffeine anymore because the this technology could stimulate you in a similar way where now you're in woken up mode or vice versa. Maybe you're in uh, time for bed mode, uh, workout mode, focus mode. You know, these are... Things that could very well happen, and should they? <laughs> I'm under the impression that as long as it doesn't interfere with the normal spectrum of emotions, I think that could be more beneficial to society than harmful. So, I mean, there's going to be situations where you're going to be sad, someone you know is going to pass away, or um, you're going to lose at a video game, or you're going to not do too well going out um, trying to pick up a girl or a guy or something like that. And I think those are normal emotions, but like you were saying, um, if it gets to a point where it's they're trying to identify and solve every single problem, then it, it really does present a huge moral dilemma. That, yep. um, people are, that we're, It's a conversation we're definitely going to have to get to when AI gets to that point. So it's, it's fascinating. Like you said, I think the key is to, is to range it, not to eliminate... Our, our difference is an emotion permanently, but to bring you back. And I don't mean dull it because one of the things that you see a lot of people who are manic depressive or uh, bipolar, they, a lot of the, their excuses for not taking medicine that's prescribed to them is because it, it numbs both feelings. So you don't have highs or lows. So yeah, you want that high to rebound from the low. If the AI can somehow just instead of having the range be super wide to 
bringing it back to what a normal range of emotion or quote unquote normal range of emotion would be considered is uh, that's the key. Cause again, like you said, I, I think it's as long as it's the normal human function or what is considered to be the normal human function, as long as that's still there and still attainable, then it could be, uh, it could do more good than harm, but it, it's when it's numbing it and bringing it to even keel and you're never experiencing emotion. That's where it could get dangerous. Mm. Even yeah, to right. that extent. Sorry. Go ahead, Ryan. Um, I, I also agree. I think the range is the best option. I feel like ethically humans have already somewhat intervened to that level where they, they try to prevent self-harm and harm to others. And like, so let's say somebody's in a counselor's office or a psychiatrist's office, they're telling their feelings. If they, if they make a threat basically on their own life or somebody else's life, that, that, uh, care visit, that care person is, is obligated to contact authorities. Like there's already laws against it. Humans have already kind of ethically stepped in and intervened in that level. So, I mean, if you can keep them in a range where it's like, as long as it's not deep, like like that's like deep red, let's say it's deep red territory, harm to others or their self, then yeah, the range would be great just to have that. But keep the extreme euphorious. <laughs> that, <laughs> that, that deep red territory you bring up is exactly kind of the point I was going to head towards too. Um, I was going to say, you know, do we want to even or prevent all instances of depression? Because some of the best artists of mankind have been people who have been depressed you know um some some people would not be as inspired to be happy today if it weren't for those experiences again mm -hmm. moral moral questions to be asked and, and, and it comes back go. to go ahead sorry <laughs> i know you got, you got for it. that's all you and it comes back to the choice everything has to be a choice it has to be you know, not everybody who's born gets implanted with this. Like I would choose to not have it because my range of emotions is normal. I like the experiences that I have both positive and the negative because the rebound of positivity is such a good feeling compared to what the negative was. And it's the people who can't keep those things in control that might want to look into that realm where again, it's, it has to be choice. It has to be by choice. It has to be a choice. And we have to be able to, as humans be in control. There has then, to be a, a an escape button, a, a delete, if you will. Yeah, I agree. And that could, to kind of tie this whole thing together, that could also be where AI comes in. So AI, through pattern recognition, could understand what normal human range of emotions is and the chemical balances that come with being happy, sad, excited, depressed, all those things. And... I think that if it has enough of a data point to pull from on human emotions and human feelings, I think AI could even regulate that when it gets to a certain level. It could be acute enough to the point where it knows happiness from sadness and depression from manic depression and stuff like that. And it would be able to um, it, take people that are in those extremes and bring them to what most of us consider to be a normal range of emotions. So we wouldn't, right. they, they wouldn't even notice it. They would just be normal. So I think AI has an important role in that. So having just a button that people push where it's like, okay, make me happy now. Like they're going to abuse that. But having an AI know when to do it, I think, would be important. Agreed. Great points. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's and, – and going into like the, the physical stuff of that, like being able to control motor skills and having the AI – kind of govern that and um, enhance the ability to move around or even improve on its own set. Like 
AI working on like your eyes to improve the algorithms required to make the eyes process data better, make even improving your eyes over time, not only just making them better once to begin with. Um, what do you guys think of, of that kind of an AI, like um, slowly replacing body parts or even giving AI itself a physical form in which to experience a three-dimensional environment? I know, Ryan, you were talking about that during the break. Is there anything that you had on that that you wanted to kind of bring up? Who's to say we're not already currently experiencing that, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're not living in a sim, like Elon Musk says. But, um, yeah, no, I, I I do believe that, like, the potential for AI just to create prosthetics or just to exist from prosthetics and gather data from prosthetics is almost like sending out, let's say, if we go along the track of the centralized AI, like we talked about in the first half, where that can actually just branch out, build probes, and from those probes, it'll it'll experience the world around it or building AI that, that kind of experienced the world for it. And then they send the data back to that. And it's like, all right, well, that just like, that went to a place that was too hot and I lost that probe. I'm not going to go there again. <laughs> I'm going to go over here, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that, and that could be useful too for exploring environments, having something with the intelligence and awareness of a human exploring an environment far too dangerous for a person like the surface of Mars or going into Jupiter or something like that um, in the future when we start to explore space. Or even something as simple as like going into the ocean and just mapping out the bottom of the ocean for us or something. Yeah, I feel like that also touches on what Jeff was bringing up earlier in terms of being able to record all human memory. It's like you can think about it one way, it's like DVRing something like an experience. But if, if you have something that incorporates all human experience and can can, can like um, process, well, kind of just grab whatever information it needs from humans that have been there before mm-hmm. and just say, oh, in that moment. Because it, it, humans do it instinctually. It's almost like instinct is... It's a genetic memory in a way. So you, you know your ancestors developed a fear of spiders because they were poisonous. Snakes the same way. So a lot of people still maintain those fears. So let's say if if you had these instincts, these these dangerous memories, just on demand from any particular human experience of every man that ever lived or every man that you recorded, you'd be infinitely more uh, wise in a way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know how to interpret your environment a lot faster. Definitely, and so. this like. My my mind is like running crazy with different ideas and implementations of the AI and the body. Like, can you imagine? Um, you guys have heard of the art of lucid dreaming, right? Where yes, you train yourself to be able to construct your own dreams. Um, if we're able to record dreams, can you imagine like like homegrown directors creating these movies in their mind while they dream, and then producing them in a way that people can watch and like. Like just Just content creation, (laughs) like content creation on a completely different level. Like it's, it's as real as real life, but it's in a dream. Yeah. Like the, the possibilities are completely endless. And then even a scientist going in and doing research in his dreams and having a recording of him doing research in a plane that allows him endless possibilities of being able to set up and run experiments that are in the that are in both our um, laws of physics and not in our laws of physics. Like yeah, like it's it's like my mind is just like in pieces right, <laughs> right now, like trying <laughs> to comprehend. Yet. It makes you question reality itself. It's, why it does. is <laughs> such a great topic to bring I'm, up? I'm starting to yeah. side with Elon Musk. Maybe we are in a simulation. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This, is, this one, is why this is terrifying. Yeah, yeah. it's just one really <laughs> convincing simulation. Is it though? We're all okay, right? Yeah, so. yeah. 
I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> Other people, maybe not. That's what's concerning to me. But yeah, um, I feel like the deeper you dive, the more scary it gets. That's all. Yeah, or the cooler true. it gets, depending on which approach you take and which endorphins you're on. Yeah, good <laughs> point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but with all this, I think you know the underlining um, you know theme is the 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 choice in the situation. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're if you're an inventor and you have this genius idea in your sleep, you want the option to keep that to yourself. You know, the director can't take credit for the movie if someone else steals it from them. Yeah. So you know, all these different things. I think. This, this technology is could be incredible and will be incredible, but there needs to be that element of choice that humans have to, you know, main, maintain humanity, essentially. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm hoping open source software and uh, content creation and stuff, kind of like people make the video cameras, but the people who create the video cameras don't necessarily own all of the footage that's captured on it. So... I think that going forward could be something similar with um, with like AI and recording all this all of these data points and and everything like that. If it's recorded by a third party company, that they by rights have access to that. But so I, I think that that's an interesting point to bring up. Who would own that stuff? And uh, I definitely agree. Mm-hmm. And um, I know everybody today has um, a personal assistant in their pockets that they either use or, or don't use. Um, what do you guys think, um, would, what would it take for like, one of these companies to produce something that would, you would be like, okay, yes, I'll use this in like an everyday scenario. Would, is there something, some reason why you don't use either um, Apple's uh, voice assistant or Google's voice assistant in day-to-day life, or? I mean, for me, the biggest reason I don't use it is because I have to take out my phone to use it, and at that point, I'm just going to type in the thing that I want to look for. Right. Like, I'm I'm not in a situation, I'm really in a situation where I can't type unless I'm driving, which I'm not really looking stuff up while I'm driving anyway. The most I'll do is use voice to text, which, I mean, if that improves slightly, I might use it more, but... Like I can also just ignore the text message until I pull over and get to my destination or, uh, mm. but it's, there's the main reason is because I have to use my phone. If I think, I think the way for me to use it more would be if I were to be able to think it or just say, you know, the trigger word is Alexa for the Amazon. If I just say Alexa, this, that, the other, and then it just does it kind of, I'm mean, kind of like how, how it does now, but in almost an immediate conversational style it kind of like i mean we used the example earlier iron man if it were like that where i'm having a conversation with it and it's immediately responding immediately getting this information that would convince me to start using it but i don't see that happening mm-hmm. very soon so yeah and it's, it's an important topic to bring up because that's how we're going to get to all these points that we've been talking about getting able being able to let these um these assistants and these ai and these databases capture different voice fluctuations and different um, requests and different um, information being processed and information that's pulling, um, that's how we're going to get there in one way or another. So it's important to for these companies to come up with better ways for people to engage. So that's like what you were saying with the um, Amazon Assistant, um, having it be like a passive voice recording in the background. And I know that works great in the home, but I don't 
I think there's a certain social stigma around someone like yelling at their phone in today's society versus you see it all the time in like sci-fi movies where they're like like waving their like maps around in the air or like talking to their assistant or something like that. I think it's there's definitely like a social barrier that we still need to like get over before we're able to fully utilize those assistants. So I think that it's something that we definitely should like talk about and bring up. And I know that maybe if Apple were to release their own passive listening microphone, that would be something that we could say would help out or turning your microphone into like I know with Android phones, you can set it up so that way you can use, you can hail Google from your lock screen. So you don't even need to like unlock your phone. Like you were saying, it just has to be within Ear shot, I guess, would be the term. So, yeah. I, I just want to know if, if I was saying earlier about it, it comes down to the interaction with it. Like, I I know we touched on an earlier episode of Microsoft's Cortana. I think having the ability to have something more visual, something you can interact with directly. I know sometimes it's got to be quick. It's like, yo, Google me a map real quick to this location or something. I need to get there right now. I need directions. Like, I don't want to spend the time typing it in. I'm already in my car, something like that. But, I mean, um, and the other thing is, like Kyle also said, was you don't wanna, you don't have the stigma of just talking to your phone out loud in public. You, if if other people can see the assistant you're talking to, if you have like your own personal assistant here, and you're like you're asking that you're asking your machine information in public. More people, I feel like they'd accept that in general. A little bit, mm-hmm. it'd be a little more comfortable. Yeah, it just takes more people to start doing it and getting used to that type of a medium. <laughs> And I know there's been times when I'm talking with my girlfriend and we're like debating on something and she's like, oh, what's the weather or whatever. And um, I'm like, I'll just turn over to the assistant and be like, hey, what's the weather today or something like that. Just because I don't feel like pulling my phone out. And I know that that helps in like the home situation, but it's still limited by what room it's in. And it's there's kind of like a monetary barrier to having a house that's truly always listening. So it's going to take a little bit more, I think, for people to to do that. And I've been trying to do that myself, even using like my voice assistant in a situation kind of outside or something. It feels super sci-fi and all that, but you can like do it with like a smartwatch too. Cause uh, yeah. and some of them have like the Google assistant built into it or uh, Siri built into it. So it's like almost like a Dick Tracy type of thing where you're like talking <laughs> to your phone. <laughs> <laughs> so I think so, it's, it's something that people have to get over. Something I would like to see is uh, if we use our cyborg eyes with AI and we can put a hub. So say I use the trigger word or I say Siri or Alexa or whatever the trigger word is and all of a sudden, boom, in my eyes, not visible to you but visible to me, is a hub, almost like a video game hub like Master Chief in Halo. Like Mm -hmm. you you have key components right in front of you and you can control them with your hands or with your thoughts or however. I think, I mean, that's way down the line, but that's when it would become super useful i guess a heads up display yep. yeah that would yeah. be awesome and i was going to say something similar uh, but for for me on a more current standpoint i would like i would like it if it wasn't so proprietary to be honest like i you know as you guys know i'm still an iphone user so i can't choose to use google assistant by holding the home button it forces me to use siri you know if i if i use siri and i say hey navigate me to uh kyle fisher and i have his address it's going to try and use apple maps if i have that removed um you know sol i can't use google maps on the fly so i mean 
when it comes to things like that where you have to use that brand you know it's forcing your arm that's what frustrates me i would like mm. you know it, while i'm listening to spotify if i could yell out yo skip this song and then there you go it skips the song unfortunately that's not how it works right now mm -hmm. and so yeah for me that's that's what bothers me yeah and i think that as we get towards a point where we're seeing um i know like they said they just open up the apis for those assistants i think you're going to get to that point where they're, they may not be centralized but it may just be different flavors of the same ai so it'll it might get to a point where all of them are capable of doing the same things but if you just prefer the soothing tone of Cortana's voice over Siri or something, or you like the way that Google sings happy birthday to you a little better than, than Amazon's, something like that, then I think that you could see people get into that kind of a, a point in AI where people realize, okay, it's not about who's got the best one, it's about who's delivering the most convenient service and who owns this one service. Like, sure, they're all, they can all do the same thing, there's no reason to use one over the other, but if you are comfortable using Amazon's, then Amazon's getting that data initially, or Google's getting that data right. initially. And it could, it could get to that point where, like, people own the various systems, kind of like operating systems. We all have different OSs, Mac, Windows, Linux, whatever, what have you, but we're all using the same Internet. You know what I mean? Like, I'm hoping it gets to, to that kind of a point where AI is just like the the skin over which you process the AI. And I think that could be a good leading point into um, moving into the more interesting things of AI, like replacing your legs with cool body parts or um, having like a, like I know I would love to have like the ability to like screw my hand off and have like a Dremel tool on the end of my hand. <laughs> Just like be able to replace it with parts that I need at the time or something like that. Um, and, I think that's one of the ways we would be able to work towards that. But um, I know we we could go on and on and on. Um, did you guys have anything else that you wanted to bring up about AI or anything? Yeah. Yeah? yeah there's definitely one thing that I want to get into. I talked to you guys about it during the break, um, but I wanted to get like in-depth opinions on it. So uh, one of the things that I think is a more um, – more realistic in a shorter amount of time or is more feasible soon three to five years possibly is when if we create ai and we do um you know tesla's already talking about doing self-driving delivery trucks and potentially seeing those in the next few years so say three to five years the trucking position as a job a trucker is eliminated entirely I, I'm, I think I'm giving too short of a time frame, but let's just say three to five years, no more truckers. Mm -hmm. So now you have all those people who don't have jobs anymore. They weren't trained. They probably are, have been in that job for a long time. So they're older, may not want to go back to school. Now they have people who went from upper middle class to low class overnight. And the people who are, yeah, it's an, it's an initial investment of paying for those self-driving trucks, self-delivering trucks. But in the long term, they now don't have to share that wealth with employees. They have less employees, only the employees who are taking care of and maintenancing the trucks themselves in case incidents happen. You're not worried about, you know, if you have 10,000 trucks out there, well, that's 10,000 less drivers you have to pay. You're, you're replacing 10,000 employees with 50 
to to be the people who are maintaining these these vehicles. So the distribution of wealth then becomes a whole nother level where the rich get richer and the people who at least were in the middle class are getting bumped down. The wage gap changes, the distribution of wealth changes. It becomes a whole different experience if more and more jobs go in the direction of being automated, being through AI. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how you guys think ways to avoid that. What are is it inevitable? Are we going to have that? Is this the is this the goal all along? From like, if you want to get that crazy and conspiracy theorist, like, is that the goal this whole time? Oh yeah, you developed the AI so we can separate ourselves from the lower class and become a whole different type of society. I mean, it's it, the wage gap's already bad enough, let alone where it could potentially go if if that trend were to happen. Right, and I think that it could definitely be a lot worse if we're not careful. So if we don't um, offer ways to train people out of those inevitable situations or if we build the AI too quickly and don't consider the societal repercussions of stuff like this. And I think that um, that's a really good point to bring up because that could be one of the things that leads us to this dystopic Skynet-esque future or uh, where it's, it's a world governed by an AI and the AI could be almost weaponized to like suppress the lower class. But I think that um, if we stay on the path of standardization and keeping people with an open mind and into more of the positive aspects of AI, like curing diseases and using it to make driving safer, um, I think we can cushion that by maybe creating jobs as we go. So there will be people who will probably by law need to govern the trucks that drive themselves or like have a person in it as a fail-safe kind, much like how an airliner could probably take off and land on its own, but we have a pilot there just to make sure nothing goes wrong and a co-pilot. So I don't know what anybody else thinks, but I think that's how I would, how I could see this happening in, in like a best case scenario, um, offering ways to train people and, offering ways to monitor the AI while it's still developing. So my issue there is like, it's, that's all good in theory. And and I completely agree with you that if we, as long as we are patient and we do it the right way and we worry about these things ahead of time, then everything will be safe. And I want to see AI go in the direction of helping people get better in medical and like we touched on before. But if people also aren't satisfied usually with being second, whether it be in a race, a competition, or a creation. So people are going to rush to get the job done as good as they can before worrying about all the ethics and everything beforehand. And it's mm-hmm. like we said earlier, I mean, humans are naturally competitive. They naturally want to outdo other people. Do you think, say, we'll use Tesla as an example because they're talking about doing automated trucks. And do you think they're worried about the ethics part or do they just want to be the people who made the automated trucks? That, I mean, I, we can't get in their minds, but it really does come down to like they want to be the people who get it done. And then if they're like, oh, this is going to save us a, save people a bunch of money and we can sell this to a bunch of people and make a ton of money on it, we're going to do that. And people will figure out the ethics later. And I think that's where it gets into a gray area. Right. And that's kind of the approach that we've had with all technology to get it done now, figure it out later, make it more efficient as we go. And once we discover the repercussions, it's like kind of like, an, oh, 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 well, well. Just deal with it while we can and figure out the problem as it goes. But um, it's AI 
is a is a lot more complicated and a lot more hard to a lot more difficult to like put in the similar situations as like the technology so i'm it's my hope that just the the knowledge gap and understanding what ai is capable of versus um how we can use it in today's practical language and society i think that i, ho I would hope that it's enough in itself to encourage people to follow a standard and understand where this should go. And I think that even looking back on all the sci-fi movies we were talking about, um, seeing what Hollywood expects AI to do, I, I would hope that they would use that as like a reference point and be like, okay, we don't want to destroy humanity because this AI learned the launch codes to the nuclear missiles or something like that. So um, I would hope that just just because of people perpetuating that, I would hope that there's a, a reason why we're able to kind of intelligently approach this. Because it's something that not many people are going to be able to understand, let alone work with. Right. I feel like AI is being developed because it's, it's there to solve a lot of our problems or a lot of the major problems we face as a species. And like you said earlier, Kyle, with the wage gap and how the, basically the higher classes control a lot of, the, a lot of what happens in daily life for most of our species i mean a, a centralized ai or ai itself like so let's say we had an ai that governed markets and created socialism it didn't give the rich a choice it would automatically allocate their resources basically because most resources these days are electronic what are mm -hmm. they backed on i mean the chinese have moved into like weibo and stuff like that they've gotten the most of their currency is now officially electronic data is gold so, yeah, just potential AI solutions. Like that's why we are striving for AI. And yeah, in the short term, it's bad. It's very bad. It seems like there's a corporate interest that at hand with the semi trucking companies and stuff like that. But for the long term, for AI, I think we're just, we're developing we're developing AI for the purpose of solving these major issues that we face as a species. Right. And and I think you can even look at it at a different level. Like so, say somehow we we figure out a redistribution of wealth or what have you like uh, we mentioned possibly taxing even though that would never happen taxing people for using these and then redistributing that to the people who don't have these jobs anymore i i mean what would basically your job is like our jobs we are selling our time to be able to sustain our families and our lives that's right. what a job is essentially so time is our only true currency man <laughs> exactly and so what happens with that as the human side? What am I now doing with that time that I'm not selling it? If I'm still getting money from the fact that I got let go from that job because it was replaced with automatic, am I really spending the time to nurture my family and do better things in the world? Or am I like, oh, well, now I'm restless, so I'm just going to go pillage and plunder and not care what happens because I'm just – alone and my my life was one way and now it's completely different even though i have income of some sort what is that time being real allocated to so I, even from a human perspective not even the ai perspective what things would start to occur as p as less and less people are working so i think well to start you know the the jobs where it's either not currently possible or not yet implemented to integrate AI is where you'd see um, probably a flood of jobs. But unfortunately, that would probably also go with a decrease in pay, which doesn't really solve the problem. Um, I, I honestly, 
think that <laughs> maybe either like I think Ryan was saying AI could uh, potentially give you a solution to this problem or else uh, we're going to definitely have to figure something new out, which I have no idea what would fix that lack in uh, work for people. Mm -hmm. And this is what people who are, who have spent many more years studying and are paid much more money than we are to understand these, these types of issues. And they're working towards like the best possible ways to implement that. And, the best ways to approach this from both a social and a economic and government almost approach. So I think it's it'll be different to see where we go, both as a species, a society, and even the third one as just humans in general um, towards the advent of AI and how and where it's used and what data points it's using. So, um, but yeah, it, it's, I think just like a lot of the other things that we've talked about, it's, we're not expected to have the answers as the individuals that we are, because we still have to live our lives every day. But it's, if you're not having these discussions ahead of time, then people are going to abuse it or get to a point where it's just not being used or prepared for the way it should have been. I think mm -hmm. in previous episodes, we talked about net neutrality and you have to be aware of what's going on there and how important it is. And it's another topic where it, the more people that are informed and the more people that are prepared, the better off as a society we're going to be when these technological advances really do come to fruition. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, regardless of what your <laughs> political views are, um, during the election process, you see these debates where these questions are being posed about, you know, how we're going to get jobs back for our country, et cetera, et cetera. These are the kind of things people like us need to bring up, spread awareness. And then when you start forming opinions on the matter or seek answers on the matter, that's when you go to someone who has the power to actually influence a decision on it um, in a political realm and ask them what their thoughts are. Is this the person you want sitting in the chair making decisions about this kind of thing? Um, same thing with technology companies, in my opinion, you know, if there's a forum where you're able to ask, hey, how are you going to approach this? I think it's as valid as the technology itself. Absolutely. And um, I think it'll be interesting to see where that goes. And like you were saying, people do need to be aware of AI because unlike um, the invention of the iPhone or the invention of um, like the DVD player or the VCR or Betamax or what have you, um, it's something that's not exactly tangible, but it's still a massive leap forward in technology. And I think that now that we've hit, now that we've reached the point that we're at with hardware, smartphones and everything, I think that that AI and software improvements are going to be where you're going to see the next big thing, to quote Steve Jobs and Apple and everybody else. Um, like the next big thing is going to be how we integrate intelligence with our existing technology, improving the hardware as we normally do. So it is incredibly important that people understand something like that and that it's it's public knowledge that AI is almost definitely where we're headed. And if you are listening to this, Oh, sorry, go ahead, Ryan. All right. Are oh, you good? <laughs> no worries. 
I'll just say, like the, the the point we are in human history, we are shaping. We have one of the most definitive uh, points of shaping the future of mankind as a species. Right. If I mean, you're listening and all of this intrigues you, I mean, it's another reason to share it with. Everybody. I mean, it's, I'm shilling for ourselves real quick, but like, it, <laughs> it's another reason. If if this intrigues you and you're like, man, I do need to understand this better, it's another reason to share this or any other medium where this is discussed with people who you don't normally have these discussions with, who don't have the same interests as you, because it will get them to understand, get them interested, and get more people talking about it. Such an important thing. Yeah, that's right. a cool topic. It's why we do this to spread, you know, the the news, spread the intelligence, uh, generate conversations about things that we think are important. Yeah. And if your name is Urban and you're listening, then maybe you should join in on a few more podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) Got him. Burn. We need a trap horn so we can play that whenever something like that happens. Can, can do. Can do. <laughs> but um but yeah, it's 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 like a fun topic. Like it you can you can twist it and make it dystopic and doom and gloom all you want, but it's it, it's like a it's a cool thing. It's it's awesome to see like my like there's I know um there's a new Sony phone coming out, the new Sony Xperia, and they actually embedded an AI not using the TensorFlow chips but using their own chipset um in where it monitors how you use the phone and the times you put it on the charger take it off the charger and then over your use cases with the with the phone it'll anticipate okay this person gets up at 8 a.m every day and this person does this and it'll kill certain processes at certain parts of the day and there's even a mode where it charges the battery up to 90% and caps it at 90%. And then 20 minutes before you normally wake up, it'll charge it the rest of the way up to 100% because it's healthier for the lithium-ion battery. So you're starting to see AI getting implemented in hardware as well as software. And I think it, um, going back to not only this episode but the prior one, those TensorFlow chips that Urban brought up um, – Seeing them put in hardware, I think it'll be cool and like fun and awesome to see like how much better hardware gets just because there's something learning the use case of the particular person who's operating that piece of hardware. Agreed. Mm-hmm. And that phone is the Xperia XZ Premium. If anybody was wondering who that, <laughs> who which phone that was, but that's not important. That's besides the point. <laughs> Um, but, uh, is there any other important topics anybody wanted to bring up or I think that's an episode, uh, no, anybody want to show for themselves before we go, plug your own stuff, plug projects or your personal stuff. Yeah, I know we mentioned it in the show notes, but we have our own funk master J buds here producing beats for us. So beats by J buds beats by J (laughs) (laughs) just beats by J to shorten it. But, um, yeah, anybody else want to plug themselves? I know you got your own podcast, Kyle. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to plug that again. Uh, okay. if, if you are a super nerd like myself and you're into all things in the nerd realm, um, not only technology but wrestling, I have a professional wrestling podcast uh, with my friend Kevin Keenan. If you go to iTunes and soon-to-be Google Play, search On Air with Keenan and Kyle or Podomatic. I'm sorry, On Air with Keenan and Kyle slash Podomatic.com. Uh, you can find us there as well. Um, it's you know it's entertaining uh, guy from the industry in Keenan and uh, 
myself a super fan. So it's a nice little combination. Nice. And uh, again, to reiterate what we said at the beginning of this half, if you want to share this with us or look up any of our, not with us, but with other friends, and you want to look it up, we have our RSS feed you can get from podbean.com slash industry40, all spelled out. Um, You can put that into any of your favorite podcatchers, or we're available on iTunes, Google Play. Um, We were on SoundCloud, but not any longer. And we're also on Facebook and Twitter as um, Industry 4.0. Spelled out. So good follow on Twitter. Yeah, it's a like, relatively new share. One. <laughs> yeah. Like, share, follow, retweet, friends, favorite. Yeah, da- download the podcast. We watch the download counts. We're psyched to see people are listening, yeah, uh, and we appreciate everyone tuning in. Facts the biggest things for biggest things for podcasts are uh, rates and reviews as well. So subscribes are amazing. We love that. We love the download clicks. Uh, cl- all clicks are good, but rates and reviews help you jump up quicker. So if you can do that for us, it'd be much appreciated. And uh, with that, I think that is the end of the episode. So this has been episode four. Uh, Thanks for joining us, guys. Bye.